Where to begin with Robert Altman? I mean, we know where to end, his death, and that occurred five years ago next Sunday. So perhaps that's the place to start. You see, Altman's films were often underpinned with death. MASH was set in the Korean War. McCabe and Mrs. Miller is a Western with several shootouts. The Long Goodbye is adapted from a Raymond Chandler murder mystery. Thieves Like Us is a gangster picture, so you know someone is going to the morgue. A wedding is just as it says, and that is until Grandma keels over. And in Nashville, just after Ronnie Blakely finishes her song, this happens. Mom and Daddy, thank you. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. That was all in the 70s, and Altman finished the decade with Quintet, a post-apocalyptic science fiction game in which he killed off all of mankind. The 80s were bad for Altman, and he began the 90s with his worst film, Vincent and Theo, about Vincent van Gogh and his brother Theo, and we all remember what happened to Vincent. That film fails because Altman departed from what he did best, examining social groups as they went through seismic transitions. Such a change was evident in his next and one of his best films, The Player, which showed the death of storytelling in Hollywood. Tellingly, a studio executive murders a screenwriter. There was more death in Shortcuts, where a group of fishing buddies find a dead woman in a river but ignore her because it will ruin their weekend. When they return home, an earthquake threatens to kill everyone in Los Angeles. In Puerto-Porte, the head of the French Fashion Council is murdered. After that, there was Cookie's Fortune, which wasn't about luck, but rather the problems caused by the suicide of a very wealthy woman. Gosford Park is set on an English country estate where everyone, including the butler, is suspected of murdering the head of the house. I could go on, but Altman made close to 40 films, so we don't have the time. Through early morning fog I see Visions of the things to be The pains that are withheld for me I realize and I can see Suicide is painless, it brings on many changes, and I can take or leave it if I please. Altman's breakthrough film was in 1970 with the anarchical, some might say nihilistic, MASH. But before that, he had gathered years of experience in television, directing countless episodes of shows ranging from Alfred Hitchcock Presents to Bonanza and Maverick. Back then, TV demanded conventional framing and strict timing to fit within not just the broadcast hour, but around the much-needed outbreaks. Which was amazing, because with MASH, Altman barely tolerated over-the-shoulder shots of two-way conversations, and so he very rarely went in for close-ups. And those two-way conversations were usually mixed in with other people rambling on and having their own conversations. From then, his style was set, and right through to the end, some 36 years later, it never wavered. You could say that it never actually developed. But either way, he always had the camera on a long lens, set back from the scene, allowing his actors mingle about, mangling each other's dialogue, which was all carefully recorded, because Altman had everyone wearing tiny microphones, so what they said could be remixed and mixed up later on. And all that was woven with a roaming camera and overlapping dialogue, which helped give an improvisatory feel as if it were a piece of jazz. You see, Robert Altman loved jazz.
That's from one of his late films, Kansas City, where he was born in 1925. Jazz giants Charlie Parker and Ben Webster were also born there, and by the 1930s, the city was very much the crossroads of American culture. Whether you were travelling by train or by plane, a stopover was required in Kansas City, where jazz, blues, ragtime, big band and swing were all mixing together. Now, usually we play clips from the movies in question, and those clips have to have dialogue, because, well, how else are you going to know what is happening? So you'll notice that the clips I focused on all involve music. That's because Altman's use of music is very rarely discussed. I mean, who would ever have thought of taking a song Leonard Cohen had already established and putting it in a Western? All the sisters of mercy, they are not departed or gone. They were waiting for me when I thought that I just can't go on. That's from McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Then think of the theme song from MASH, which was actually co-written by his son Mike. Then there's Nashville. Nashville obviously takes place in the annual music festival in Tennessee and features over 25 songs, one of which, I'm Easy, was composed by Keith Carradine, and it won him an Oscar. Altman never actually won an Oscar for directing, but it would have been nice had Nashville triumphed instead of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Cuckoo's Nest is a very fine film, but its tragedy is all very codified and neat. And the only thing neat about Robert Altman was his whiskey. When Cuckoo's Nest ends, you come out feeling happy that the hero has been suffocated. Why? Well, you know the old cliché that the best heroes are dead ones. I still hear Daddy singing his old army songs. We laugh and count... Altman didn't deal with clichés so much as subvert genre. He took the war picture, the western, the gangster, the sci-fi, the musical, the melodrama, the murder mystery. He even did a comic book adaptation, Popeye, and stood them all on their heads. That was Altman the iconoclast, the prankster, the director who let his actors run free about the set as he sat back in his chair, sipping his whiskey and smoking his joints and having a laugh. Which was fine, for a while. We all need pranksters, but eventually, eventually you have to show your hand and show us what you believe in. Otherwise, you're just growing old. So I ask you this. What did Robert Alton believe in? <laughs> 